You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. All right, this is our second week in the book of Hosea. Hosea, as we learned last week, is a prophet. A prophet is somebody that God chooses to speak to his people through. The interesting thing about Hosea is that Hosea's life will also illustrate God's message to the world. What God will speak through Hosea, he will first do in Hosea. And so we said last week that Jose is this young man who's virtuous and he's righteous. He's got a future in front of him. He's the picture of flourishing and favor in that day. And God tells him to marry a woman who will be unfaithful to him time and time again, who will willfully demean and scandalize and take advantage of him, a woman named Gomer. Hosea's life and person conveys the virtue and the faithfulness of God. Gomer exemplifies the wayward and unfaithful nature of God's people, a people who have forsaken God's covenant relationship with them, a relationship that was bestowed on them not because they were unique or special, but a divine gift of love and mercy from God himself who said, you will be my people and I will be your God. And so the the book of Hosea has some strong language in it. There's language that is hard and strong. It can shake our sensibility. We can read of God's judgments and we can, with concerning opinion, wonder what is he doing? We can have confusion on what seems to, to be God acting cruelly and seemingly heartless. But let us remind ourselves that it is not God that has walked away from his people. It is not God who has left them. It is not Hosea who defiled the marriage bed. It is not Hosea who disowned Gomer, nor has God disowned his people. It was creation. It was his people, just like Gomer, who walked away from the very best thing the world could ever offer her. God's people walked away from the very purpose of their design, the very center of their lives, a relationship with God. And time and time again, God has come to the rescue. Again and again, he has redeemed them, and they continue to walk away. And what seems to be God's harshest judgment or punishment is simply letting his people do what they want letting them wander the earth alone without him, without his grace and forgiveness and pity and mercy. He lets, them, he lets them go after their own pursuits, ultimately pursuits that will destroy them, which surprisingly God will use to glorious and splendid ends. And so as we read chapter two today, we're gonna to read all of chapter two today, lots of scripture. We're gonna break it up into three different lessons. But as we read this, remember that Gomer exemplifies the nation of Israel. It can be, she can be interchanged with the nation of Israel and Hosea is interchangeable with God himself. Hosea sends a plea through his children and this is what it is, Hosea 2. 
Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. That she put away from her whoring face, whoring from her face, and her adultery from between her breasts. Least I strip her naked, and make her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She has conceived them, has... She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flux, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flux, which were to cover her nakedness, now I will uncover her lewdness inside of her lovers. And no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feast, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feast. And I will lay waste to her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, these are my wages, which my lover has given me. I will make them a forest, <clears throat> and the, bre- the beast of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of Baals when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with ring and jewelry and went after her loves, lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her and there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Echor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as, it, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and that she shall remem- be remembered no by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on the day, on that day with the beasts of the fields and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things on the ground. I will abolish the bow and the sword and the war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in that land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. 
and I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you and we are so gracious that we get to call you Father. We're so grateful that we get to know you in a way that we can adore you as children. And so Lord, will you forgive us for the ways in this week that we've walked in, in ways that haven't brought glory to your name, uh, in ways that we have sinned in front of you. Lord, will you forgive us through your son who died on the cross for us? And Lord, will you restore our hearts to gladness and joy in you again? We love you, Jesus. And we pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. Three lessons that we want to pull out of Hosea today in chapter two. Three lessons for our good. Number one is this, is that God exposes the desires of the unfaithful. Number two is that God frustrates the past of the unfaithful. And number three is that God allures the exposed and frustrated to redemption. Three points, and we'll walk through them. In this chapter, we see Hosea sending a plea to, through his children to their mother to stop her debauchery. Now, it seems an unusual thing to bring the children into a marital spat, but in this case, the children are grown, and they have as much to lose in their mother's promiscuity as she does. They are set to, in some sense, be orphans. They will be without the protection of their father who has graciously extended himself to them, despite the fact that most of them are not his biological children. They are set to lose his mercy, nor will they ever know the love of their mother. Reunification is their only option. It is their best option. And it's obvious by now, after chapter one, that Gomer has left Hosea and fled into the arms of another man. She has broken the covenant of marriage. She has dissolved the marriage by her actions. She wants nothing to do with Hosea. Hosea is simply letting her have what she wants. He says, I'm not her husband and she is not my wife. And this is the plea that Hosea sends with his children. Stop your adulterous life. Stop going after lesser loves and pleasure. Put them away from your heart. Or as Hosea says, adultery between your breast. He's, what he's referring to is what is under and in between the breast, our heart. Not the physical heart, but the moral, intellectual, emotional center of ourselves to put away her adulterous desires from there. We remember in the words of Jesus in a sermon that he gave called the Sermon on the Mount, he spoke these words reminding us that the heart is the seat of our will. He says, you have heard it from old that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you today that if you lust after a woman in your heart, you have committed adultery. Hosea isn't after Gomer's actions. He, he's after her heart. He doesn't want her to stop simply cheating. He wants her to love him most. And what God is saying to his people through his messenger Hosea is that I don't want your works. I don't want your habits. I don't simply want your words. I want all of you. I want it all. And so what is Hosea willing to do to bring her back? Hosea is willing to expose her as the fraud that she is. He says, I will strip you naked. 
I will make you like a wilderness, a parched land, thirsty. This is a picture of inward desolation. It's a soul that has been deprived of the presence of God himself, one that is unfruitful, unmoved by grace, and unknowingly thirsty for the word of the Lord, yet desirous for all the wrong things in its place. These desires will ultimately expose the state of our heart, the state of Israel's heart, how empty they are, and they will provide destruction in their path. I don't know if you are like me. I love documentaries. I've watched hundreds of documentaries in my life. I've watched several on the topic of food deserts. Uh, Food deserts are places in America where people don't have access to affordable, healthy food. And in their absence, they solely rely on convenience stores and dollar generals. And so what that means is there are people whose entire diet revolves around Mountain Dew and frozen pizzas and snack cakes. And that sounds like a great Sunday, right? (laughs) But that is all that they eat. And there is a thing called Mountain Dew rot that's in children where the enamel of their teeth is rotting away from the sugary drink itself, being hollowed out. And here's the thing. If given the choice between their current sugary carb diet and something new and healthy like produce, do you know what they pick? They most always pick the snack cake in Mountain Dew. (laughs) Now, we could spend hours here talking about why that's true, on the tragedy of that truth. But here's the reality. It happens. And nobody, including themselves, would deny that it's killing them, would deny that it's destroying their body. We can see it. They can see it. It's visible. But they just can't stop. What God is saying through Hosea is that in removing himself from his people, he will expose them to the life of a broken and fallen world. They will be like deserts, deprived of what truly is necessary in life, in his love and his mercy and presence and forgiveness. They will be on his own, and they will be parched with thirst and hunger for what is real and good, but because they are so blinded by their own desires, they will continue to pursue that which is destructive and decaying in God's place. They will self-sabotage themselves in their desire to be self-sufficient. And the world around them and themselves know how unfulfilling and empty it all is. But they can't stop. Even though the Mountain Dew rots, they still keep drinking. And what Jose is saying is that it won't stop with her. And it won't stop with Israel. But she will teach them to her children. She will teach those ways to her children, and they will find no mercy from God because of the shameful ways in which the mother has acted. Mother means Gomer, which represents the nation of Israel. Children represent the individuals of that nation. The sins of the nation will be thrown on the individual just as the sins of Gomer will visit her children because of her shameful actions. Gomer is disillusioned. The nation of Israel is disillusioned. They keep running after things that are destroying them. 
decaying them with pride in their hearts, believing that they are somehow responsible for a level of virtue and well-being in their life. Hosea says this, he says, for she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flux, my oil and my drink. They are foolish. They are foolish in thinking that in their rebellion, that they have carved away for themselves to thrive in this world. They think themselves to be clever, believing that they have found a source out of, outside of God for life and love. Yet Hosea reveals us the surprising truth in verse 8. He says this, that she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. It is if Hosea went to the house of Gomer's lover and knocked on the door and introduced himself and said, I am her husband. And he brought with her groceries and currencies and supplies. And he said, take these for her, that she might have mercy, that she might be okay, that she would have enough to get by, that her life isn't too tragic and hard. And then believing Hosea to be a fool, Gomer and her lover blow it all on false gods and unfaithful things in empty pursuits. Even in God's people's waywardness, he still provides blessing. Jesus records these words that he says that the sun shines on the good and the bad and the rain falls on the unjust and the just. God's blessing are indiscriminate, yet they are wasted on other gods and ourselves, believing ourselves to be more than we are. And here Hosea says that he will eventually take even those away. Even the scraps of his mercy and forgiveness will be pulled away and they will be fully aware of their folly, fully exposed to the destruction of their sin and their own clever desires. They have taken the blessings, the gifts of God's and they have perverted them. They have used them to serve themselves and God will expose it all. And it will have a purpose, a surprising purpose. God exposes us. He reveals our deception, our follies, not to embarrass us, but yet to awaken us. God will bring all that which is in the darkness to the light. That we might see just how beautiful and holy, compassionate God is in our lacking. That we would know the truth of ourselves. That it might increase our joy and worship in him. The second thing that Hosea teaches us is that God will frustrate the paths of the unfaithful. Hosea says, therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her. Hosea is saying that he will put all of her paths outside of loving and living with him. He will make all of those paths frustrating. He will surround the narrow path that leads back to him with hedges of thorns that when she gets off course, she will find them to be immensely frustrating and hard. God hates sin, but he will use even what was meant for evil for good. He will use it to redeem his people. All of sin has consequence. All of sin has 
repercussion. All of sin brings frustration into our lives now or eventually. And what this verse is saying is that is a grace from our good Lord. He has made it hard for us to walk away from him. He has made it hard for us to love something other than him. Every pursuit that isn't after the Lord will have its difficulty. Every pursuit that isn't for the Lord will find its resistance in our life. It will have consequences. Those consequences are the hedges of thorns that keep us from wandering too far away from the Lord. It all serves to get us back on the path, back into the relationship that we were designed to be in. God in his mercy has made made rebellion hard. And sometimes we loathe God for being unkind and ungenerous and unresponsive. But maybe we should consider how loving it actually is for God to hedge us in, to frustrate us, knowing that ultimately he is going to use it to promote his good and bring us into relationship with him. Hosea reveals the reason for the hedges in Gomer's life or that in her frustration, she will go back to her husband. She will see him as better. She will be awoken. And that is the same for God's people. God makes our way hard. He frustrates us when we don't pursue him, that we might be awoken and remember how good he is. And here is the surprising and beautiful truth about God's love and compassion on his people. It's that God allures the exposed, that God allures the frustrated toward redemption. He allures the exposed and the frustrated to redemption. For all the ways in which Hosea has forsaken, or Gomer has forsaken Hosea, for all the ways that she has dishonored and embarrassed him, Hosea's response here is quite surprising. To us, it would make a whole lot of sense for her to seek revenge to do unto her what she has done to him, to to take her for all that she is, or at minimal, to walk away from her, to never talk or see her again. But Hosea doesn't do anything of that sort. He sets his sight on alluring her again, on taking the relationship back to the beginning in new love, to speak to her tenderly, In these words, we see the purpose of all of God's exposure and all of God's frustration conclude not with God destroying or disowning or leaving his people, but with God alluring us anew. Charles Spurgeon, who's the prince of preachers, wrote this about the word allure, and I want to share it with you. He says, I will allure her. Not I will drive her, not even I will draw her or I will drag her or I will force her. No, I will allure her. It is a very remarkable word. And it teaches us that the allurement of love surpasses in power all other forces. The Lord in mercy determines that in all truthfulness, he will outbid the devil and he will win us to himself by fascination, enticements, and allurements, which shall be stronger than any force of resistance we may offer. This is a wonderfully precious word. I will allure her. Friend, there is nothing better than God. 
There is nothing better than his presence, nothing that we could buy, nothing that we could earn, nothing that we ever seek that will be better than God, nothing that will be better than his presence. And he, with long-suffering patience, has faithfully rested with his people and exposed and frustrated their way in order to allure them to himself. Hosea speaks of the zenith of that time, the zenith of shame and fallenness by talking about the Valley of Achor. The Valley of Achor is something that you can read about in the book of Jeremiah or Joshua, where a man named Achan is killed. He is killed because he stole. He took from the city of Jericho after their destruction something that he should not have. In direct disobedience from God, he stole and then he hid it in his tent. And after a brutal defeat, only after a brutal defeat and tremendous loss of life, God reveals to the nation of Israel that they have sinned, that they have sin in their camp. They have done what they should not. Achan is found out, and he and his family are stoned to death in the valley of Achor. It is a shameful time for Israel. It is a shameful time in their history. But God reveals through Hosea that even the shame in that valley will be a doorway of hope. God will will kindle his people's love for him. He will betroth himself onto them, which means he will fully commit himself to their flourishing and their way. He will say to those who once he regarded as not my people as my people. He will say to them that you are my people and they shall say to him that you are my God. God will redeem his people. All of their frustrations and all of their exposure will be for the cause of God and their redemption. And so to close, you know, what does that mean for us today? What does this mean for us today? What means that all of our resistance All of our frustrations, all of our embarrassments are not wasted in the kingdom of God. All of the shame that we want to hide in, even the worst moments of our life are not outside the redeeming hand of God. God lowers us, God exposes us, God frustrates us in order to keep us. He hedges us in gracefully with thorns to move us back onto the path. He exposes us to reveal the folly and deceit of our ways. All of it all of it, every single bit of it, to awaken us again to his love, to allure us, all of it, that we might see the grandeur of his mercy to us in our sin, all of it to reveal the depths of the grace that he has bestowed on us in his forgiveness, all of it that his glory may be known greater in our lives. Like we like to see our hardships, we like to see or difficulties in life as inconsequential. They don't have a purpose. They're unnecessary. We run away from conflict. We refuse to take responsibility for things. We flee from others instead of giving and asking for forgiveness. All of us, all of us want our life to be easy. All of us want to have control. And when none of that happens, which it never does, we end up believing that God hates us. We end up believing that God is avoiding us. We end up believing that he belittles us and demeans us, and we do away with him. We say, I don't believe he exists. 
where we say, we, I don't believe that he is good, as if God not existing is somehow a better proposition for us that being on our own, which is what got us into this place, is somehow sweeter. And so, friends, today I simply remind you this, is that those hedges have a purpose. Those thorns, they have intent. Your exposure isn't the worst thing that could ever happen to you in your life. The most secretest things of your life being known isn't the worst thing that could happen to you. The worst thing that could ever happen to you is to not see or have the vision to see how God is using them and that he's alluring you to redeem you. Gomer doesn't deserve Hosea's affection. Israel doesn't deserve God's devotion. And we don't deserve God's grace. And friend, that is precisely the point. The more undeserving something is, the more scandalous it becomes. The more undeserving something is, the more gracious it is. The more undeserving something is, the more loving it is, the more satisfying it. Friend, God takes us to the end of ourselves to woo us, to allure us, even to make the most desperate fallen situations in our life a doorway of hope. Not because we deserve it, but precisely because we don't. And that is far more incredible than we have brain cells to understand. God, God, he frustrates, I'm sorry, exposes the desire, the, exposes the desires of the unfaithful. He frustrates the paths of the unfaithful all to allure the exposed and frustrated to himself. It is a glorious truth that we find in Hosea 2. Deep and beautiful truth. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you today, and as hard as it is, Lord, I ask that you frustrate our way. I ask that you expose us. That is the most scariest proposition in all of our life, that we would be fully known by the world and by you. But Lord, let us see that the scariest thing in our life is to be outside of your love and to not have the vision to see how you are using all things in our life, both good and bad, to allure us to yourself. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that extend to us in ways that we do not know. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for dying on the cross for us. And we pray this in your beautiful name, Christ. Amen.